0: Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for your patience. We apologize, but um, these things happen with busy people when they're trying to change the world. So thanks for your patience. Welcome to the LSE. Welcome to the International Human Rights Day public lecture hosted by the Center for the Study of Human Rights and in association with the Law Department at the LSE. This year, the public lecture is entitled, aptly entitled, Fighting the Beamoth Law, Politics, and Human Rights in Times of Debt and Austerity. My name is Margot Solomon. I'm faculty here at the Center for the Study of Human Rights in the Law Department. And before we dig into the interesting and important issues, allow me a few moments of basic housekeeping. Please turn your mobile phones to silent. You may have done that already. You've had some time to consider that. For people who want to tweet, there's a hashtag, LSEGreece. Feel free to use that. I'd like to let you know that this is being recorded, uh, both in terms uh, uh, of your questions and just so you know it's being recorded, but also because we're hoping that a podcast will be made available and you can find it hopefully next week on the site of the Centre for the Study of Human Rights. Uh, I'd like you also to note that the uh, the event tonight is is being filmed, and we have national and international media uh, in the house. Good. So we're delighted to have with with us tonight Zoe Konstantopoulou, who was until very recently the speaker of the uh, Hellenic Parliament. And Zoe Konstantopoulou presided over the Parliament during a momentous period that, in many ways, will shape the world to come. The economic violence of the past five years that have befallen the people of Greece, and not only Greece, begs a long list of very fundamental questions. One, what values have come to guide us as an international community? What are the boundaries of human sacrifice that we're prepared to tolerate in the name of economic recovery? How are the costs and burdens of financial disruption and of a financialized solutions distributed under conditions of interdependence? In what ways have our international public institutions come to represent private interests? And what has become of our European rules, directed, we're told, at human dignity, freedom, democracy, equality, the rule of law, and respect for human rights. And what of our global rules committed to peace, security, and social progress? Where have they gone? And importantly, what organizing principles have replaced them? The UN independent expert on foreign debt and human rights just returned a few days ago from his mission to Greece. He tells us that 36% of the population, a total of almost four million people, are at risk of poverty that the number of people facing material deprivation has nearly doubled between 2009 and 2014, the period of conditionality by international creditors. That's 21% of the population. The independent expert speaks, as Zoe tirelessly has, of a humanitarian and human rights crisis in Greece. So my final question is, how might we now ensure accountability, ensure remedies, ensure reform, and seek out justice. Our exceptional speaker will no doubt offer insights, perhaps even some answers to these questions and other pressing questions of our times. And we will, of course, reserve some time for questions and answers. Despite the late start, we'll make sure that there's time to engage with, with Zoe and to hear your comments and your views, even if we um, make that a bit shorter than we had anticipated. So it's my pleasure to introduce formally our International Human Rights Day speaker Zoe Konstantopoulou. Zoe until recently as I mentioned was president of the Greek Parliament and a politician of a coalition of the radical left Syriza. She opposed the terms of the third bailout and its conditionalities breaking with Syriza at the end of the summer. So he's also a practicing lawyer. She holds law degrees from the University of Athens and from Columbia University, specializing in international law, in human rights, as well as in criminal law. As speaker of the Greek parliament, she worked to expose questions around how the Greek debt was acquired, the evolution of the debt in the Troika years, 2010 to 2015, questions around the devastating economic and social effects of the conditionalities attached to the international loan agreements, and the roles and responsibilities of the various creditors, among many other central issues. Human rights and social justice underpinned Zoe's efforts, which saw the convening of an interdisciplinary committee to study and bring to light the players and the beneficiaries and the victims of the Greek debt and austerity crisis. Her ongoing efforts and those of many international colleagues who have worked uh, alongside her uh, are paving the way for what I think, or what I hope, uh, will be a new global ethic. I thank you for coming to join us, Zoe, and I give you the floor.
1: Good evening ladies and gentlemen. First of all, let me apologize for the the delayed uh, um, commencement of this evening's event. There's one thing I've learned during the years, there's two things you cannot control, flight schedules and car traffic. Anyway, I would like to uh, wholeheartedly thank the LSE and uh, uh, the responsible people for the LSE. I will remove this. For the LSE... Human Rights Program and the LSE Law Program for organizing this event and for the honoring invitation. I would like to especially extend a special thank, thank you to Professor Margot Salomon, not only for this um, invitation, not only for her very kind and honoring words, but also and mo- most importantly for accepting to become a member of the Hellenic Parliament's Debt Truth Committee, the Truth Committee on Public Debt which was constituted in the previous parliamentary period to examine not only how Greece's debt was created, but also how it was inflated, how it was blown up, how it was linked to corruption deals and to corrupt practices, how it was maintained to serve private banks and private interests, and how it was based on practices and dispositions which grossly violated human rights parliamentary procedure, democratic principles, and constitutional law. I will begin my speech with a question, and I want you to answer spontaneously and as loud as you can. Do human rights matter? Yes. Yes, that's what I say. And why do human rights matter? Well, they matter because human lives matter and because all human lives matter, not just some human lives. If you think that these are rhetoric questions calling for obvious answers, as I would think if I were to respond based on my human rights and professional experience, think again. There's an ongoing institutional procedure within the European Union and beyond to reverse the hierarchy of universal values, to impose a logic according to which human rights and human lives matter only to the extent that they don't hinder procedures which were never conceived, and nor will will they be ever conceived as values in themselves. Debt repayment, competitivity of economies and of markets, bank liquidity, fiscal and budgetary discipline. I will speak to you about my country. Greece. And in doing so, I hope to achieve two things. The first is to explain to you what happened and what is still happening to the country and to its people. The second is to give you an idea of what will happen to this country and to other countries, what will happen to the UK, Europe and the rest of the world if we don't resist the devastation of democracy, the annihilation of human dignity, the raw violation of human rights in the name of fiscal discipline and debt repayment. Let me quickly go back to 1975. Greece having come out of a seven-year dictatorship, adopted one of the most human (laughs) rights-based constitutions in in Europe. Human rights formed the first big chapter of the Greek constitution, Articles 4 to 25, that is 22 articles in a constitution of 120. And what's even more important, they are considered to form an intrinsic part of Greek democracy. Constitution-based legislation on human rights was elaborate in some fields, such as labor law, but not existent in others. Court jurisprudence often filled the the gaps between the Constitution and the legislation, very often creating or acknowledging the basis for the exercise of rights not explicitly provided for by law and also enriching constitutional human rights provisions. I would say that Greece had a strong legal and constitutional tradition on human rights. Human rights are among the constitutional provisions which cannot be revised, which means their protection is quasi-absolute. It's constitutionally perpetually guaranteed. Between 1975 and 2010, there were three constitutional revisions, and... When it comes to human rights, those revisions were in the direction of enriching and enhancing rights protection, either through the recognition of new rights, such as the right to access to information, or the creation of independent institutions to guarantee those rights, such as the ombudsman to ensure citizens' and people's rights are, ob- are observed by state agencies, the National Radio-Television Council to Guarantee Freedom and Equality of Information and Radio-Television, the Council for the Protection of Personal Data, the Agency for the Protection of of Communication Secrecy. Rights were treated as sacred and untouchable from a constitutional and legal point of view. Of course, this does not by any way imply that they were not violated But until 2010, no government would have dared to propose legislation which would impair vested rights. This is why, if asked in 2009, no one would believe that what followed from 2010 to 2015 to date would ever happen to the the country. This is equally why I strongly urge you to think of Greece as an image of the future of your country or countries. As I'm sure that a lot of things which I'm about to mention are inconceivable to you and you're persuaded they would never happen in your countries. I will talk to you a bit, uh, a little about the pre-2010 era just to give you a glimpse of what has happened in the country. And then I'll speak about the 2010-2015 period, which is the memoranda period, a period of fierce austerity measures supposedly destined to address the country's over indebtedness A taxation tsunami directed at the general population, irrespective of their taxpaying capacity, blunt attacks on democracy, and raw violations of human rights. Then I will speak to you about the Truth Committee on Public Debt and its preliminary findings as a preliminary remedy to the human rights violations in the country. And I will conclude by narrating what happened uh, ever since July 2015. From 1974 to 2010, Greece was governed by just two parties, PASOK, the so-called Socialist Party, and Nea Demokratia, the right-wing party, which altered themselves in power. These parties were proven to have operated with corrupt practices and concluded several corruption deals with foreign companies, especially in the fields of defense where various scandals involving ministers have been unveiled telecommunications and technology where the famous or infamous Siemens scandal has been brought to light revealing that Siemens was not only bribing members of the government but it was regularly bribing for decades bribing the two parties as such to maintain governmental preference and opposition (coughs) silence irrespective of which party was in power. In 2010, the Greek people were told by their their government—it was PASOK at the time—that the economy was sinking like the Titanic, that the country was over-indebted and on the verge of bankruptcy, and that extraordinary measures needed to be taken in order to save the economy and the country. They were told that they had been living beyond their means and they were depicted in the national and international media as lazy, corrupt, and unreliable. Before they could realize it, their government signed a loan agreement accompanied by a memorandum of understanding with three institutions, namely the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, the European Commission, and the European Central Bank, which became... Greece's creditors, although they're also uh, institutions to which Greece is a party. These three institutions were thereafter called the Troika. The loan agreement came with the obligation for the country to implement a program included in the Memorandum of Understanding, the so-called MOU, to boost the country's competitiveness or to restore the country's competitiveness. Today, three such memoranda of understanding have been concluded. The first was w- one was in May 2010, the second in February 2012, and the third one, the one some of us had thought would never come, was uh, concluded in August 2015. It is uh, very interesting to read the memoranda of understanding from a human rights perspective what you will immediately realize is that this hardly resembles an international covenant, an international treaty, or a convention. Rather, the memoranda of understanding have the characteristics of commercial deals, of commercial agreements, where the only thing that matters is numbers. The memoranda were baptized bailout programs, and... I like to call them death sentence programs. They were supposed to include necessary reforms to see the Greek economy through the crisis and back to growth. What they really were all about was the outrageous demand that the country abolishes through legislation dictated by the creditors all human rights and freedoms guaranteed in its constitution, in its legislation, in the international uh, agreements and international convey- conventions the country has signed and ratified, and in its courts' jurisprudence. The, right most fiercely attacked, the rights most fiercely attacked were social and economic rights, but political and civil rights were not left out of the attack nor were cultural rights. The social and economic rights were attacked not only by the overt demand on the part of creditors that legislation be revised in order to abolish labor rights and guarantees including the right to a minimum salary above the poverty line or Uh, for example, the right to collective labor negotiations, the right to minimum pension above the poverty line, the right to equal treatment between men and women and between generations. Uh, Let me just tell you that every conceivable social and economic right was attacked. The right to education, the right to health care and the attack on rights was also effectuated by budgetary cuts in the expenses and job cap cuts in the respective areas. So expenses on education were cut, and this meant that schools had to operate without books, without heating, and without teachers. As expenses in public health care were cut which led to hospitals operating without medicine, without personnel, with one nurse for every 40 patients. All this set of measures led to an unprecedented recession, the longest ever experienced in Europe at a time of peace. We're now at the seventh year of recession and it also led to major humanitarian crisis, affecting the most basic human rights and needs. More and more people, young and old, men and women, were led to look for their food in the garbage. An unemployment shock hit the general population and devastated the young generations whose perspective for any job was shattered. Let me just tell you that in 2009, unemployment rates were at a 9.7%. They rose to 27% in 2015. And this means a million and a half of unemployed in an active population of 3.5 million. Most importantly, unemployment rates rose for the young men to 60% and for young women to 72%. Hundreds of thousands of young people, young scientists were forced to emigrate in the search for work. 300,000 small and medium enterprises were forced to shut down. One out of two Children in the country are living below the poverty line, according to official UN assessments. And one out of two pensioners, 44.8% of pensioners, are also receiving pensions below the poverty line. And what is currently being discussed is the 12th set of cuts in these pensions. These were the results. I also have to tell you that an epidemic of suicides hit the population. Thousands of human lives were lost out of despair. And these were the results of measures which during the Memoranda period, the Memoranda era, have been drafted by the Troika and imposed upon the people with the government undertaking to pass them in Parliament through emergency procedures. Emergency procedures which leave no room for parliamentary discussion, debate, deliberation, opposition or even free exercise of the Member of Parliament's voting right and obligation laws of hundreds of pages involving all areas of possible legislative competence have been construed in only one or two or three articles in order to prevent members of Parliament to vote yes to certain provisions and no to others. And these laws of hundreds of pages construed in just one article or two or three at the most were then passed through Parliament with ultra-urgent procedures, which means less than 10 hours debate in committee and a maximum of 10 hours debate in plenary. And this is for a Parliament which has 300 members. So you can imagine that uh, not even a very small percentage of its members could express themselves during such procedures. Each time, these laws have been considered as prerequisites for the next installment to be disbursed. Time and again, members of Parliament have stated on the record, on parliamentary record, that they consider themselves to vote with a gun on their head, that they don't agree with what they're voting for. We have had other phenomena as well. One of the members of the government, which signed and brought the first memorandum of understanding, publicly admitted never having read the memorandum. But we have we have had even more deplorable examples, such as that of the current Minister of Justice, Minister of Justice of today's government, Minister of Justice also last July, who signed and brought to Parliament a law which had been tabled by his predecessors in 2014, the Code of Civil Procedure, a law which had been the object of mass opposition by lawyers, judges, human rights organizations, and society as a whole as it abolishes basic procedural rights for parties at trial, but also fundamental protective guarantees for homeowners and petty homeowners, allowing for banks to take over people's homes and leave them homeless. The law had been rejected by a 93% no vote in a lawyers' referendum held in December 2014 and the minister now signing and introducing the law in Parliament had been one of its most instrumental opponents. We're talking about the same text, word for word. This anti-democratic tradition has its roots, of course, back in 2010, and one of the most telling examples has been the November 2012 hundreds of page legislation with, which was inserted in Parliament and voted upon and subsequently found to violate the Greek Constitution by one of Greece's Supreme Courts. Let me tell you what happened with this finding. The competent Supreme Court for salaries and pensions found that fundamental human rights, fundamental social rights concerning um, uh, pensions had been violated by this law. What, What the creditors then requested of the government was to find ways to circumvent this court finding. And it's actually in the official correspondence between The creditors and the government of the time that it is required of the government to find ways which will allow to circumvent judicial findings, uh, um, basically pronouncing unconstitutionality for legal provisions which were dictated by by the creditors. Laws often, this kind of laws often contain dispositions favouring corruption and large-scale economic crime. There was such a law in April 2014. It was again a several hundred-page law, and in its provisions, which were all construed in two articles, three articles actually, the third was the final uh, disposition, provided the decriminalisation and an implicit amnesty and immunity to defendants for major corruption cases involving public spending. Also, let me say that these laws have been implemented through grave violations of civil and political rights as there was mass police repression but also military measures against those in strike. We have had three Uh, cases, well, actually four cases of enlistment, military enlistment of the people who were on strike in order to prevent them from going on strike. And we're talking about uh, workers at the port, workers at the mass transportation, workers at the energy company, but also teachers. Teachers were enlisted in order to be prevented from striking. And... From going on strike. And all this was also promoted through gross media manipulation and propaganda. <coughs> Violating human rights has been the object not only of this kind of legislation, but also of other techniques of circumventing parliament through. Uh, Different mechanisms. Uh, one of these mechanisms has been the, the mechanism of presidential acts of legislative content. This is, uh, these are acts which are issued by the government and the President of the Republic assuming legislative power under the pretext of extreme emergency and unforeseeable danger. Dozens of such acts have been adopted during the memoranda period. One of them was the act through which the public radio television was shut down on the 11th of June 2013 and 2,500 people were fired. All this time, and as the population which protested was hit not only by police brutality but also dangerous chemicals, there was this media propaganda that I referred to, which was constantly presenting the measures as inevitable but also as an adequate means to repay this debt. A debt which was up until very recently uh, supposed to rise to the sum of 325 billion euros. This means that each baby born in Greece was presumed to owe around 32,500 euros without even having breathed. The debt was misrepresented as sustainable, as being uh, at a level which allowed the government to repay it without violating its basic obligations and human rights uh, obligations towards the people. And of course, what you should know when it comes to human rights is that this media were grossly violating the people's right to information as they constantly and consciously misrepresented the events and they were, of course, remunerated by governments with grossly favourable treatment. While citizens were hit with a tax tsunami, media owners never paid the debt never paid taxes they owed, nor did they pay anything for using the public frequencies. In 2012, the Council of Europe Social Rights Committee found that Greece had been violating socioeconomic rights through the very first measures of the memoranda, the ones considered to be the more mild ones. In 2013, the independent expert of the United Nations on human rights, on debt and human rights, visited Greece. And let me say that uh, the independent expert of the time was Cephas Lumina, uh, a person of extreme I- integrity who also honored us by accepting to become later a member of the Debt Truth Committee. Cephas Lumina visited Greece in 2013, he was struck by witnessing, almost witnessing a suicide in his hotel the very first day of his visit. He stayed in the country uh, for several days and issued a report in 2014 finding that Greece had been in grave violation of its human rights obligations towards its population. In 2014, and also um, the independent expert also um, addressed certain a series of recommendations to the government and to the international players, the international organisations acting as creditors. In 2014, the European Parliament issued a report, also adopted actually a report also finding there had been gross violations of human rights in the procedure and operation of the Troika against states in a program. By then, the experiments initiated in Greece, the Memoranda experiment, had been exported to three other countries, namely Ireland, Portugal, and Cyprus. In... 2012, equally, the Committee on the Rights of the Child also found there were violations in the basic rights of children in the country. Let me just say that one of the most often reported phenomena was children fainting at school out of starvation. And in 2013, the Committee on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women also concluded that there there were detrimental effects on women in all spheres of life by the memoranda measures. Several Greek court decisions also found likewise. So when in January 2015 the population through general elections, gave a very clear mandate to the government and to the parliament to do away with those sociocidal policies, with those homicidal policies, to, uh, to do away with these policies directly, constantly, and consciously violating human rights these policies which did not allow them to live with dignity and to prosper, one would say the population was acting in accordance with human rights guarantees and human rights prerequisites. So did, I believe, the parliament when in April 2015 a Dead Truth Committee was created by President of Parliament decision to audit the debt and to examine whether the debt repayment mechanisms had been and to what extent violating human rights. Let me just say that debt auditing is one of the European Member States obligations according to regulation 472 of 2013 for all Member States which are following a program which are under a memorandum. And yet this is an obligation never required to be observed by the creditors towards these states. Debt auditing became a social demand emerging from the social movements back in 2011. It was undertaken as a political commitment by the parties which came to power in 2015, and it was translated in an institutional obligation by the Parliament with the creation of the Dead Truth Committee. Because this obligation, I believe, reflects also a basic right of the people, a basic collective right of the people to know the truth about the debt that they're being called upon to pay and to repay and to refute a debt that is is not their own. When I announced the creation of the Truth Committee on Public Debt at the meeting of Presidents of Parliament in Rome on the 20th of April 2015, And when I talked the way I talked to you about human rights violations, about extortionate practices by the creditors and especially the European Central Bank acting in a conflict of interest, acting as a creditor whereas it should be observing the uh, treaties, the European treaties, Uh, when I spoke about the need to reestablish democracy and not to let it slip away through this kind of practices. And uh, when I also talked about the right of the population to defend itself against illegitimate, odious and illegal and unsustainable debt, uh, when I also described these parliamentary procedures that I talked to you about, there were two very interesting reactions. One was by the President of the French Senate who took the floor to tell me that, in his knowledge, the European Central Bank is not yet listed among the terrorist organizations, and that I should be very careful in the future when I refer to the European Central Bank. The second was by the president of the German Bundestag, the German parliament, who was very disturbed by my references that this kind of practices violate democracy and parliamentary procedure, and was trying to convince me at the end of the session that in the German Bundestag, it is allowed to vote laws in the way that I described, 800-page laws in one article, etc., I had to explain to him that for what happens to the Greek Parliament, to the Hellenic Parliament, it doesn't matter what is allowed by German law, but what should matter is what is allowed by the Greek Constitution and the Greek uh, parliamentary procedure. Let me say that this committee the Dead Truth Committee, which was an international co- committee, and Margot Salomon has been one of its prominent members, to whom I'm uh, very grateful, and the Greek people are always grateful, issued its preliminary findings in June 2015. And it found that the debt, the Greek debt, had been unsustainable ever since 2010 and that the creditors knew about this. This means that the debt could never have been uh, repaid without gross violations of human rights and, and without disrupting the social tissue. This also meant that it could not be expected to be repaid without even more violations of human rights. This is the report that was issued in June and I brought with me um, a lot of copies that you can that you can have. It's actually very valuable now because the current president of parliament is chasing the committee. He abolished its offices. He issued um, a decree uh, for the um, Uh, cessation of its um, uh, works and I guess the next thing to do will be to burn these uh, reports so (laughs) be sure to take one. Uh, It's going to be very, very valuable. The report showed that contrary to what had been the object of um, media propaganda, the debt was not related to public overspending related to the people. Public expenses in all fields had been below the European average, except for defence, and that's the area where gross and grave corruption activity has been detected and several criminal case files have been opened and transmitted to Parliament to also investigate on ministerial and governmental responsibility. The committee found that what was being called bailout programs for the Greek society had, in fact, been bailout programs for German and French banks, which were actually uh, left and given the opportunity to uh, give away, to um, transfer, to sell the, the Greek state bonds they were holding back in 2010, and therefore they profited from their knowledge that the debt would have at some point to be um, restructured. What was interesting in the works of the committee was the constant um, attestation that creditors, but also governments, had never bothered to look at their human rights obligations. What was the constant uh, public debate was that Greece had to to observe its international obligations but somehow international obligations were only interpreted to be fiscal and financial obligations and not human rights obligations which are actually higher in the hierarchy of obligations. Margot, during the examination, the audition of the former representative of Greece to the IMF, directly asked asked him whether, in the IMF negotiation, human rights obligations of the IMF and its member states had ever been the object of discussion. And the answer was a clear no, with whatever conclusions this may lead you to draw. The committee found the debt to be illegal, illegitimate, odious and unsustainable, and in order to gain some time I refer you to page ten of the report to um, look at what each definition means. Basically this means that the that the debt should not, could not and should not be repaid because this would mean even more human rights violations uh, against the Greek population. Now this is what happened until June the 18th, 2015. What happened ever, ever since the 25th of June is a different story. The creditors of Greece insisted that the government, which had a mandate to do away with these measures, actually undertake to implement even harsher austerity measures targeting the population and human rights. And they addressed a 48 hour ultimatum to the government to accept to undertake more measures, more taxation, more job cuts, more salary cuts, and also a debt analysis which was presenting the debt as sustainable. A referendum was proclaimed by Parliament under government's um, proposal, and during the referendum week, from the twenty seventh of june to the fifth of july, there was a series of threats against the population by representatives of the creditors, by representatives of foreign government officials by representatives of the uh, European Central Bank, which turned off liquidity, bank liquidity, and basically left the population during the week before the referendum with no access to the banks. There was a capital control imposed and only 60 euros could be withdrawn by each person each day. There were repetitive statements that a humanitarian disaster would be brought to the country should no to the measures prevail in the referendum. There were repetitive statements that medicine would be needed for everyone in the country as there would be a total embargo in uh, imports. The media propaganda during that week was showing yes to prevail, and it was also trying to manipulate people by showing only representatives of social categories uh, supporting yes to the measures, yes to debt sustainability. And yet democracy resisted and democracy prevailed. There was a 62% no vote, the famous OHI, And right after that clear mandate, the government was asked by the the creditors and unfortunately accepted to undertake to do everything the people had rejected and everything it had promised to abolish. The committee's report was never used. Nor was the National Committee on Human Rights report issued on the 15th of of July, 2015, showing that no more austerity measures could be undertaken as there were already unbearable and unforgivable violations of human rights in the country. What happened ever since was that the creditors were asking and the government was bringing everything that had been refuted by the population, bigger cuts, harsher measures, privatization, and uh, a new set of of, of new taxes to be imposed upon the population. Then, a third memorandum was inserted, All this was done by extraordinary provisions and through acts of presidential, presidential acts of legislative content just to show that a government and a parliamentary majority accepted to do right the opposite of what it had promised, right the opposite of what the people's mandate had indicated, and right the opposite that Uh, that international conventions and international treaties on human rights oblige governments and parliaments to observe. Parliament was dissolved, snap elections were provoked, those of us who had opposed the measures and voted against this kind of uh, regression were forced to either go home or try to very quickly, in Seven days form a new uh, coalition in order to try to, repre- to be represented in Parliament, uh, uh, an attempt which failed as it was designed to, because these were, for the first time, elections designed together with the creditors. For five years, elections have been depicted in Greece as the ultimate evil Uh, a danger to the economy, a danger to stability. The referendum was depicted as the source of all evil and of total disaster. These were the first elections for which the creditors were pleased and with good reason because they could very, very effectively do away with the last opposition left in Parliament to those uh, human rights eliminating measures. They were also right to be pleased as almost half the population abstained from the elections. Ever since the election, the Truth Committee performed its final session, which was uh, programmed from ever since July, from the 22nd to the 25th of uh, September and issued a second report concerning the, the August Memorandum of Understanding, finding again how these provisions of the third memorandum were in themselves in violation of Greece's human rights and international obligations. The Truth Committee, ever since, has been chased. I would describe this as a witch hunt on the part of the new President of Parliament and the new government. There was a decision issued to expel the committee from its offices, a decision issued to stop the committee's works, and lately a decision issued to violate the offices of the committee. Well, the committee will continue because What is the lesson from this experience is that truth matters and truth is also an obstacle to those who are decided to violate human rights and democratic principles. Truth matters because justice matters and because accountability matters. And having experienced how debt can be construed and used as a tool for the subordination and the quasi-enslavement of a whole population, I would make the case for the recognition of a collective right to societies and to the people to audit the debt that they're being asked to repay, to analyze how it was formed, and to refute those debts which are illegal, illegitimate, odious or unsustainable. What is being called a sovereign or public debt has clear ramifications on the lives and on the basic and fundamental rights of the people. Sovereign or public debt is not merely an international or intergovernmental relationship and it cannot be left just to governments or states or international institutions and organizations to observe, protect, and repair the rights and values that they have grossly and gravely violated. A social and collective right should be recognized, which allows the people to defend themselves and to ask not only for the truth on debt, but also for reparations and remedies in the cases where public debt violates fundamental human rights and freedoms, as was the case for Greece. During my term as President of Parliament, I often said, especially with respect to the creation and to the functioning of the Truth Committee on Public Debt, that there is a right of the people to truth and to justice, and it is an institutional obligation of the people's representatives to respect this right. I like to think that the Truth Committee on Public Debt has been the seed which will allow the right to flourish in the field of human rights. Human rights are about human lives, all human lives. They're about human beings. And it is time for human beings to be empowered to claim their rights, not only against their state, but also against other states and international institutions acting as debtors or creditors and involved in the debt undertaking or the debt repayment process. Thank you very much.
0: well worth the wait no doubt we have time for questions and comments i will try and take them in groups of 3 there's a roving mic can you signal your interest right here in the middle we have 3 right there thank you please identify yourself your affiliation name and affiliation Hi, my name is Silvia Lorenzo. I am a postgraduate student from Brunel University. I just uh, finished my master's with a dissertation on unilateral coercive measures. And obviously, I've been following very closely the work of that committee because of the the conclusions. You can see that the coercion that the Troika has imposed upon Greece as a form of unilateral coercive measure. And um, I would like to ask you what you think is available for Greek society or the Greek government to chase accountability for the Troika institutions. Thank you very much.
2: Um, okay, uh, so my name is Mariana Fotaki. I'm a professor of business ethics at Warwick University. And I just want to uh, thank you, Zoe costando not only for what she said today, as always very eloquently and very truthfully and with integrity, but also as a Greek citizen and a British citizen, she has been a beacon for very many and a role model for very many Greek voters, for very many women and for very many young people. And I would like just myself also to say, Zoe, what is the future? How can we collectively, and that's a key word I'm going to underlie here, how can we collectively actually build on that seed that at the moment is in the banishment, but the history will vindicate us, and it's not an idealistic wish and hopeful, you know, naive thinking. It has to, because the, the, um, the, I think societies have no hope if we don't actually support and protect life, and if we don't protect human rights and human dignity, as you say. So, thank you.
0: The young man right
3: behind you. Thank you. Um, Hello. I'm Alexander Nikolaidis. I'm an undergrad student uh, here at LSE. I'd just like to ask you, don't you think that, uh, at least in the
1: initial MOUs, it was the erroneous decision-making of politicians on where to do the budget cuts Uh, instead of the budget cuts themselves uh, in fault of the reduced human rights like instead of uh, cutting budgets in health and education as you said cutting budgets in other civil civil service sectors where money was spent the past years uh, quite a lot thank you Thank you for the questions and for your words. Um, To begin with accountability for the Troika, I do believe there should be accountability. I also believe there should be a truth and fact-finding process concerning um, the Troika officials and concerning also the operation of the three institutions constituting the, the Troika. Uh, The Truth Committee had started to um, effectuate hearings uh, of officials uh, in order to go more into the details and the facts, and we were going to also ask uh, to have hearings from the Troika officials and the Troika directing officials. Uh, One of the uh, first Interactions, let's say, with the uh, IMF was Mrs. Lagarde's letter to former representative of Greece to the IMF, Panagiotis Rumeliotis, trying to um, basically threaten him in order not to testify before the committee. Um, she included an explicit reference on his uh, immunity being only uh, waivable by the IMF and uh, with this kind letter she tried basically to um, well not to let the committee examine him. Fortunately he came and it was a very instructive I believe uh, Uh, Hearing, we learned a lot about how, especially, the French and the German government had been operating at the time trying to save their banks. And that's interestingly uh, very relevant to Mrs. Lagarde, who is now the IMF director but was back then the finance minister for France. Um, I do believe, and this is my uh, legal opinion legal conviction I would say I do believe that the memoranda have the characteristics of a crime against humanity because they are a widespread and systematic attack on the population and they are destined and they are designed to bring about the partial uh, at least a partial destruction of the population so Uh, With respect to that dimension, there are uh, not even immunity hindrances uh, when it comes to accountability, not only of the Troika officials, but also of uh, of the government officials of Greece and other member states. I wish that what the parliament, the European parliament started to do, which was a full report on violations by the Troika of of European human rights obligations, would have been more sincere and more thorough, unfortunately, but also um, not surprisingly. It was uh, political considerations which prevailed, and so there was a almost balanced report which was never continued uh, to its end um, how to act collectively uh, in every way I would say that the first thing to do is really be informed of all the elements and all the parameters of this uh, debt burdening and uh, uh, debt uh, um, uh, construction procedure. I believe that had the Greek population and other European populations been more uh, informed about the Latin American precedents of the 1980s, they would have much better uh, protected themselves and, much, and reacted much sooner. So I do believe there is an aunt's um, work to be done in getting the word around and really uh, knowing uh, acquiring conscience of what 's really happening, which is a, a type of modern enslavement uh, we have uh, there was a very um, lively intervention by a very young uh, uh, person who that, who after that became my collaborator in parliament he came to he was one of the activists supporting the dead audit uh, claim back in 2011, and he came to Parliament and addressed the committee saying, imagine that you wake up in the middle of the night and you find yourself in in a boat with row paddles. It's dark, you can't see the land, you don't know how you got there, and... You don't know why you got there. The only thing you know is you need to row the paddles in order to try to find the land. What else is that than slavery? And this is actually what happens to populations which are suddenly subjected to these debt repayment procedures. And it's very, very important that they become conscious of what's really, really happening to them. Um, Also, let me just say that it may be that the new President of Parliament wants to uh, banish the committee, but on the other hand, the independent expert on debt and human rights, uh, Juan Pablo Bohoslavski who I know was here before Greece, and he met uh, Margot, and he came to Greece afterwards and uh, made a lot of meetings. Well, his first meeting was with the banished committee, he issued a report on the 8th of December saying no more austerity measures, human rights violations have come, should come to an end, and also saying that that audit should be continued and um, saluting the committee's work. So just to uh, put also um, positive, uh, let's say, uh, paint there. The question on erroneous political decisions on the part of um, governments. Well, uh, although I have been a fierce opponent of those governments, uh, it should be said that these measures are very clearly contained in the memoranda. Populations are ta- the population, the general population is targeted, and the specific Uh, Social and economic rights are targeted. Uh, Cuts, job cuts and expenses cuts are required. And on the other hand, uh, a real uh, fight against corruption is not encouraged. Large-scale corruption cases have been buried with the knowledge of the Troika. The media, as I said, uh, has not been paying its basic taxes they have there have been around six or seven six legislation amendments during the five years of austerity the five years of memoranda allowing for media owners not to pay their tax obligations. there has been also uh, uh, similar uh, similar legislation concerning Uh, big construction companies, which actually also own the media. This is to say that this is no, no, um, um, how to say, it's no accident. It's it's a very, very conscious choice, and it's also an experiment. Greece and the population have been used as a laboratory, as guinea pigs, uh, for experimenting on how far one can go with this kind of anti-human and inhumane choices. So uh, I would not exonerate the creditors. This by no means uh, implies that I would exonerate the governments who were actually the ones who created the debt in the first place. Good.
3: let's have another round. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, my name is Kevin Featherstone. I'm the director of the Hellenic Observatory here at the LSE. Uh, thank you for a very eloquent uh, speech. Can I uh, get your reaction to two points, uh, please? Um, I wonder to what extent in general we could constitutionalize economic rights of this uh, kind in a, and maintain a market economy. I can see the point that uh, one might go in a different direction, but clearly um, it isn't obvious that we can make poverty illegal, as it were, in a market uh, economy. And successive governments in different countries... Uh, do engage in welfare retrenchments. Uh, students in the UK have uh, suffered uh, that kind of thing in recent times. So I wonder, the first, two very quick points. Uh, the first point is whether we can effectively maintain a market economy and uh, constitutionalize economic and social rights of this kind. Secondly, uh, of course, successive governments were faced with... Uh, choices in terms of the impact on human rights. Two, three weeks ago, we hosted uh, the current Minister of Finance, Afklid Zakolotus. And I guess he was essentially saying something similar to his predecessors as Ministers of Finance. That is, faced with the, the awful dilemma, the awful choice not to sign the memoranda, not to sign the three bailouts, uh, would in uh, I guess, have resulted in worse damage to human rights in Greece, greater poverty, greater uh, social uh, effects, etc. So I wonder whether uh, given the terrible constraints and choice, whether uh, there was an option domestic, available to a domestic government, which somehow would have protected uh, the human rights you mentioned. Thank you.
0: Sorry,
3: I'm getting carried away. I think mm-hmm. you've got to answer your question,
1: but I'm not the speaker. Uh, <laughs> Do you want to speak? Yes. Yeah. Hi, my name is uh, Yoria Lefteriu. I'm currently doing The Bar. Um, I want to begin by a statement first and then with my question. Um, the knife in the hands of a criminal kills, but in the hands of a doctor saves life. So I believe that um, there are always two sides in a story. You have said on how the human rights of the Greeks have been violated, but on the other hand, isn't the way of thinking and the attitude of the Greeks and generally the Mediterraneans that led to, the, uh, to this crisis, and uh, we have seen uh, countries such as Cyprus, Italy, Spain having the most struggle uh, in the EU in relations with the other countries you. Know, Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, answer these three. And then, okay. Uh, Constitutionalized economic and social rights. Uh, Actually, they are already constitutionalized. And uh, the Constitution should be observed. So um, I cannot uh, really uh, follow the logic which says... Well, now there are things more important than rights and lives and dignity and and these are markets. Um, On uh, uh, Mr. uh, Tshakalotos' narrative, let me just say that this is an unacceptable narrative for someone who has... Being part of a party which very, very fiercely opposed these measures and which demanded and claimed to come to power in order to do away with these measures. Uh, Also, let's clarify what we mean when we consider choices. Is it and can it ever be a choice to violate democracy? to violate human rights? No. And those who consider it a choice are uh, those actually who do not explore real choices. It's also the same uh, people usually or political forces who undermine the choices. Was there another choice? Is there another choice? There's plenty of choices and there always have been plenty of choices. I showed you one, and that's the report of the Truth Committee on Public Debt, which was never used. There was the choice to use it. There was, there was a choice to tell the IMF, for example, and now I go back to the Troika accountability, to tell the IMF you are liable because you consciously and knowingly burdened the country with more debt You concealed your knowledge that the debt was unsustainable ever ever since 2010. You knew, because it's contained in your confidential documents, that these measures would create, uh, would uh, cause disruption, a rupture of the social tissue, long-term recession, and social unrest, and and yet you chose To aggravate a circumstance which was already non viable. There is liability there, and there was a choice actually to exercise Greece's rights. There was a choice, an imperative, I would say, not to repay the creditors during the negotiation period, not to empty the country's uh, reserves with 7 billion, which were given. Uh, uh, without uh, an agreement having been concluded there was a choice and there still is a choice to uh, 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 sovereignly respect the people's mandate when people through a referendum give you a 62% mandate not to implement not to accept a set of measures and not to accept the debt repayment, you actually don't have a choice to violate this mandate. So I'm very sorry for this narrative uh, which is totally unconvincing and it's unconvincing especially because it comes from a government which tabled the proposal on the 27th of June to have a referendum. The referendum was precisely On these questions and the referendum was precisely uh, in view of a very, very clear extortion which was being practiced against Greece. And I'm sorry to say this was also um, an evolution which was very predictable. I actually made a reference to it in April 2015 during that meeting of presidents of parliament referring to the case of Cyprus. This extortion, closing liquidity, shutting liquidity, and obliging a parliament to vote the way you want, had been the the first precedent in Cyprus in March 2013. Mr. Tsakalotos was the person responsible for Syriza's economic program, and he was also the person responsible for the economic sector of the parliamentary group of Syriza ever since 2012. I do not, do not accept this narrative, and I do not think it is a sincere account of the fact. Of course, everyone has the right to claim uh, their story, but I guess it's history that will judge us all. Um, the question on the Mediterranean. Uh, I, I would say that this is actually the new type of racism that's being cultivated. It's the lazy people of the South, and it's the working people of the North. Uh, it's the unreliable and living beyond their means Mediterraneans, which enjoy the sun, and it's the hard-working uh, Northern Europeans which pay the bill. This is a misrepresentation because. First of all, as you may know, I, I think you're Greek. As, I'm from Cyprus. You're from Cyprus. Uh, well, as you may know, uh, Greeks and Cypriots, I, I will refer to Greeks uh, and reserve my comments for the other um, people. No, 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 absolutely no uh, insinuation there. Um, Greeks are among the most hard, hardworking people. And the the misrepresentation that actually it's Northern Europeans that pay the bill for Southern Europeans is a big lie. Germany has profited big time from this bailout process by some tens of billions of euros. As I said before, it was the German and the French banks which were saved by the bailout program. And, well when it comes to human rights, there's one good thing about them. They're universal. They're indiscriminate. They are actually for all, irrespective for any other quality. So um, even if someone is of the opinion that the Greeks are lazy, he does not have the right to violate their, their rights, and that's a good thing.
0: I'm afraid I'm going to have to call this fabulous and important lecture to a close. We're out of time, so it remains for me uh, merely to ask you two things. One, to please join us for a reception outside as soon as this is over. But more importantly, please join me in thanking Zoe for all her work and for coming to us